Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all here at the beginning of spring. I wonder how many of you have done what I've done and you had already taken off the winter tires. So I came without winter tires and with the gas tank empty light on the entire way. I didn't have gas, I didn't have winter tires, but I had faith and I did get here. <laughs> I got here. <laughs> it's getting home that could be the difficulty. <laughs> well, it's great to see so many of you trudged through the unexpected snow and we are today continuing to look at uh, a three-part series, this is part two, and it's called Things That Matter. You know, preachers say lots of things. Some of them are quite important. Some of them maybe aren't very important at all, but some of them really matter. And so we want to focus on this series on the things that really matter. Because if we get these things wrong, it will affect every other area of our faith and our belief and so on. These are foundational things. They matter. Um, I have this coming week, I have a potential buyer for our house sending a surveyor to do a home inspection. The people like the house, but they want to know about the things that matter. The things that matter are not the paint on the walls. The things that matter are whether the foundations have any cracks in them. That's what matters. And if the things that matter are neglected, all the things that you like but maybe don't matter so much are not going to last if they are built on a faulty foundation. And that is the same with our faith. So last week we looked at God and His Word. Who is God? What is He like? Well, how does the Bible describe Him? Um, and then how does He communicate with us? And how can we trust His Word and take Him at His Word? So that's what we looked at, God and His Word. Today we are looking at Christ and His Kingdom. Now, we looked a little bit about Christ last week because we said that God, there is one God, but God is a trinity, a triune being, and we mentioned Jesus a little bit, but we're going to really get into Jesus today. So I've got three things to share today. Who is Jesus? What has Jesus done? Do you remember, are any of you old enough to remember the craze for People wore bracelets with WWJD on it. Does anybody remember that? What would Jesus do, right? I guess the idea was good. It was supposed to remind you in any situation, like somebody cuts you off in traffic and you're tempted to use a hand signal that's not actually in the highway code. And... Um, then you see your bracelet and you think, what would Jesus do? So you change it to, bless you, as you drive past them. You know, that kind of thing, you know. But I remember that craze, and one of the things that I remember about it is a lot of people wore a bracelet that said, what would Jesus do, who had no idea what Jesus did do. 
Do you know? It's like a very, I mean, it was obviously Christians that, but not all Christians read their Bible, you know? Not all Christians have a deep faith and have their roots down deep. And a lot of people, they want to be a Christian and they want to do what Jesus would do, but they don't really know enough about what Jesus has done. And so we're going to look at who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what is the kingdom of God. We want to look at Christ and his kingdom. So let's get into it. So first of all, who is Jesus? Well, here's some three things. First of all, we need to bear in mind that Jesus existed before creation. We've just sung about it in that song. You were the word at the beginning, one with God. So at the beginning, before anything was created, Jesus already existed. Now, he wasn't called Jesus then. Jesus is his human name. And so you, you might remember that when the angel appeared to Mary and told her that she was going to have a son who would be the Savior, and he said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is, this, in, the, in Greek, is, in the New Testament, is the same name as Joshua in the Old Testament, in Hebrew. Um, in Hebrew, it's really, people think it's pronounced Yeshua. I'm sure you've heard all that. Some songs even have it in it, Yeshua. Although, actually, the, the way Aramaic people spoke, it was called, it was pronounced Ishwa. But either way, however you pronounce it and however you spell it, it means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will tell people about the Lord who saves? No, because he will save people. He's the Lord. He will save people from their sins. So when... Jesus was born, he was given the human name Jesus. He didn't have that name before. The only name that we've got for him is the Word, the Logos. The Greek word for word is Logos, and it means it's where we get the word logic from, or logistics. It means that Christ himself is the meaning behind everything that was created. So he existed before anything. It wasn't like God the Father and the Holy Spirit were there and then thousands of years go by and Jesus is born and now, now they've, they've got Jesus too. Christ always existed from the beginning. And when, when he was born amongst us, he became a real flesh and blood human being. Jesus is God in human form. Now, he didn't just beam down, you know? You know, like in some religions, they believe that the gods suddenly came down to earth or something like that. And then if you watch the History Channel, they'll tell you that it was actually aliens that came down in flying saucers and things like that. You know, they came down already fully in their bodies. You know, if you think of the 
you think of the Roman legends and the Greek legends with the gods, you know, sometimes the gods, they, they had human bodies and everything, and sometimes they would come down to earth. Well, that's not what it's like at all. God is spirit. We saw that last week. God is light. God is, is invisible. He is not visible to our eyes, but he became visible, tangible, touchable in Jesus, God in human form, as a baby. In fact, as a fetus in his mother's womb, growing. Can you, you think, I suppose, you know, God knows the end from the beginning and he knows how everything's going to work out. So I'm sure there was no risk involved. But if you think of it, think of the risk God took. Think of the damage that could have happened to Jesus while he was in the womb or while he was a helpless baby. He needed fed, he needed cared for. Bad dudes were trying to kill him. His parents had to leave with him. God ensured that he would be able to relate to every single thing we go through as humans because he became one of us. And not only that, but he's Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. Like, he is a sovereign of all things. Like, he is the hinge pin of all history. All human history falls into what happened before Christ and after he was born. And he is the Lord of all creation. I want to just show you uh, three, two passages of Scripture. The, the, the first one comes from 1 Timothy. And this is what the apostles really wanted the early Christians to understand. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now, what he is about to say, the sentence he's about to say, he is saying it is not controversial among Christians. You know, there are some things that are controversial among Christians, some Christians do baptism one way, and some Christians do baptism another way. Some Christians like speaking in tongues, and some Christians think that's weird and don't allow it at all. You know, there's controversies among Christians. But he is saying this is the foundation of our faith. There is no controversy about this whatsoever. What is it? God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus was God in human form. The God that we cannot see allowed himself to be seen, to be heard, to be touched by humans, and even allowed those humans to harm him and to kill him for us and for our salvation. Look, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels. I always think that's a funny phrase to put in there. You know, this is a creed that the early Christians believe. Now, you think of creeds that were made up after that, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. We never mention, and he was seen by angels. Why does Paul mention that? Could you imagine, I want you to imagine that, that you were an angel in heaven, and you're looking down on the earth it would, it would kind of be like you live in a really posh area in a gated community that has armed security guards 
and you're quite, and it's a utopian little village, and you love it there, and no one's going to come in and harm you, but now you're looking at the ghetto, and you're like, yeah, I think I'll just stay here. I don't think I'll go to the ghetto. But imagine that the Lord, the benevolent Lord of this gated community, you know, heaven is a gated community. It has 12 gates, right? Um, in this gated community, the Lord decided to go and live in the ghetto, knowing that the gang that rules that ghetto were going to beat him up and kill him. And all he was doing was offering the people in that ghetto a free home in the utopian village. I mean, that must have been what it was like to the angels. You're going there? We need to watch this, you know, with their angelic binoculars or whatever they have. And angels could not understand why God would love these humans so much that he would become one of them, that he would live in our ghetto that we've created of a, of a human society, and that he would suffer willingly and die, the immortal one becoming mortal and dying. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received back to glory again. Let's look at our next passage. It's from Philippians. Very well-known one. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You see, believe, being a Christian is not just about believing Christian doctrines. If you actually believe them, they change you and they make you into a different person. They change your attitude. They change your outlook. They change your lifestyle. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, right? That's who we're talking about. Though he, he wasn't a prophet. He was a prophet, but he was more than that. He wasn't just a savior. He was a savior, but he was more than that. He was the Messiah, but he was more than that. Although he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Now, he didn't give up his divine nature. He was still God. I know it's hard for us to understand, but like Jesus was 100% God and 100% human. I know we find it difficult that you can have two 100%s, but that is the way it is, okay? And uh, so he was the Messiah, he was the Savior, he was a prophet, he was a teacher, but he was God, and he remained God, but he no longer drew upon his divine privileges. So when Jesus healed the sick, he didn't heal the sick as God. He healed the sick as a human who had been anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit, and he went about doing good and healing all. So his miracles, his sinlessness, all of that came by trusting in the grace of his Father. Like, he didn't have an advantage that we don't have. 
okay? He was human like us. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He was not a criminal. We were the criminals. We were the sinners. We were the rebels against God. But he took our punishment upon himself. He died as a, a, a criminal's death. Therefore, yeah, next. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. And here's what we just sung about. And gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess, say it with me, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you know one day every tongue will confess that? The people that blaspheme him today, the atheists that do their roadshows and their lectures mocking Christianity, the people that love him, the people that hate him, the people that know him, the people that don't know him. One day, every knee will bow, willingly or not, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. When we see him, it's going to be the only response from us that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's who Jesus is. He existed before anything else. He is God in human form. And what was my third word? He is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. So what did Jesus do? Let's have a look now at what Jesus did. Like, if this is who he is, he must have done something important. Well, first of all, I've men just mentioned in those last scriptures his incarnation. I mean, the first thing that, that God did was become one of us. Even before he did anything else to save us, before his death and resurrection, before his teaching about who the Father is and what the kingdom of God is, before he appointed apostles, before anything else happened, the very fact that he became one of us is like mind-blowing. That's why Christmas is such a big deal. You know, every Christmas we think about how the Creator entered into his creation. And then, of course, there's his finished work. I mean, Jesus came here to do a job. He came here on a mission, and he fulfilled that mission. He accomplished it, and his work was finished. And his finished work, when we talk about the finished work of Jesus, okay, maybe we're talking about everything from his birth all the way to his ascension in heaven. His birth, his sinless life, his ministry, where he taught, where he healed, where he forgave sins, his death on the cross for us and for our sins, his resurrection on the third day, 
his appearance to people over, over many, many days, and then his ascension back into heaven in front of eyewitnesses and his outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. I suppose we're talking about all of that. But really, when we talk about the finished work of Christ, very often we're focusing on his death and resurrection. Because this is what we need to understand. I can't save myself, and you can't save yourself. The, the first part of the gospel is realizing I am lost. I am totally lost. I am hopelessly, helplessly, eternally lost, and there is nothing I can do to save myself. But there's something that Jesus did for me. And he didn't just do a half job. He did a full job. And he finished that work. And now on the basis of Jesus' finished work, I can be saved. I can be forgiven. I can be changed. And after he finished his work, he ascended back to the Father. And his work of salvation was over. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is just sitting up in heaven with his feet up on a lazy boy chair watching heavenly Netflix or something like that. <laughs> Jesus is still rooting for you, leading you, moving in your life. The Bible says he continues to be our intercessor between us and the Father. He continues. When you mess up, Jesus turns to the Father and says, I've paid the price. They're forgiven. He is our high priest that goes between us and the Father. He is our intercessor that fills in the gap between us and God. You know the little drawings you see of, of us on one, one side of a cliff and God on the other side of the cliff and then the cross comes down and makes a bridge for us? Jesus is still the bridge. He is still, he, he didn't just die and rise again from the dead. He's alive forevermore and is still bridging the gap every day, every second, every moment between us and God. Let's look at some scriptures here. John 17, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. This is Jesus praying right before his arrest and crucifixion. The hour has come. Glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. Remember we said he's Lord of all? He has authority over everyone. I mean, I know you think that one day you were mulling it over in your mind and you thought, should I become a Christian? Shouldn't I become a Christian? Why not? I've got nothing to lose. Okay, I'll be cut. I know you think that's what happened, but that's not what happened. Jesus has authority over everyone, and he said, you, Joe. It would be interesting if there was a Joe up there. Joe, <laughs> you're mine. I've called you by name. There's nothing you can do to respond, but my word will... Remember, he said, Lazarus, come forth, and the dead man came out. We were spiritually dead, and Jesus called your name and said, Lazarus, come forth, 
and you were born again. He has authority over everyone. And he gives eternal life to each, you have, each one you have given him. You know, the father said, Spencer, Jesus, Spencer is one of mine. I am giving him to you. And Jesus said, okay, don't worry, I'll save him. And I'll keep him till the end. Look, he gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you. How do I get eternal life? Here it is. This is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by, say the next three words with me, finishing the work. I brought glory to you here on earth by finishing the work. He's praying this. He's actually not finished the work yet. There's a few more days to go. He's about to just be arrested. But Jesus always prays in faith, you know. He prays things as if they're done. And he says, I have brought glory to you by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Let's look at the next passage. John 19, you know it. He's now been arrested. He's been beaten. He's been crucified. He's on the cross. Jesus knew that his mission was now what? Finished. And to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put, put it on a hyssop branch and held it to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, say it with me, it is finished. In Greek, those three words are actually one word, tetelestai. And do you know what that means? Paid in full. If you lived in the Middle East in those days and you went down to the marketplace and there was a guy that, that made... Um, you know, like floor mats and carpets and think rugs, Turkish rugs and things like that, and they wove them all together, and they're very expensive, and you would say, I would like to buy that one. How much is it? Such and such. And then you would barter and all that. And then you would arrive at a price, and then you would say to the owner, but I don't have that much money. And the owner would say, you can pay it up over 10 weeks. And the owner would keep a ledger, and you would both sign it, and every time you made a payment, he would write it in. And when you made your payment in full, you would take your Persian rug home or whatever it was. When you made your last payment, they had a little ink stamp. And they would stamp it over your account with one word, tetelestai. The, uh, the debt has been paid in full. And when Jesus died on the cross... The debt we had, the debt of sin that we had, that we could never pay off, Jesus declared, it's paid in full. It's like one day you go to the merchant and you want to say to him, I'm sorry, I know I said, keep that rug aside for me, but I've got no money. I'm never going to make any payments. I can't buy it anymore. And the guy says, yeah, but 
someone else came along and they paid your debt for you. Look, it says tetelestai over it. Someone else came along and paid your debt for you. His name was Jesus. And he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Another one, look at, I've got another one here, Hebrews. It says, therefore he, Jesus, is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Jesus is able once and forever. See, sometimes we think Jesus saved us. We couldn't save ourselves. He saved us. And all our past sins are forgiven, but now we've got to do the effort for the rest of the part. No, you don't. If it was left up to human effort, you would still fail. By grace, he drew drew you to himself when you were lost. By grace, he saved you. And it is God's grace and the work of Christ in your life that will sanctify you, that will cause you to grow spiritually and will take you right into his presence on that final day. Look, once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede before God on our behalf. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is standing in the gap for you right now. You know, sometimes you're like, I wish somebody would be, I'm going through a hard time. I wish I had some prayer partners. It's good to have prayer partners, but I want you to know you've got the best prayer partner there is, Jesus. He ever lives to intercede for you. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. That's what Jesus has done and is continuing to do today for us. He saved us out of the world. He brought us into his kingdom. So what is his kingdom? This is our third point. What is the kingdom of God? Well, first of all, the kingdom of God is wherever Christ is king. Wherever Christ is king. It's not a geographical location. So I come from the United Kingdom. Its full title is the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, right? Four countries, three in Great Britain plus Northern Ireland, not Southern Ireland because they went and became a republic, but the north. And those four countries united under one monarch. It's a United Kingdom. Although the name is really silly because it's not united at all. And not everyone who lives there believes in a monarchy. In fact, lots of people there complain about the royal family and all their wealth and blah, blah, blah. So not everyone there submits to the monarchy. And anyway, it's a kind of make-believe monarchy because although the queen could have power if she chose to, she's never chosen to, and the government run the country. So it's not a real monarchy, right? But that is not what the kingdom of God is. I mean, the church is like that. 
I'm sure there are people here and you love Jesus and you submit your life and there are people here you don't even know Jesus and don't want to submit your life to him. And there's a lot of you that are halfway in between someplace. The church is like that. But the kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God is wherever Christ is king. And if he is not ruling as king in a situation, the kingdom is not there. That's why we pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wherever Christ is king, that's where the kingdom of God is. If he is Lord of your life, not just your savior, but Lord of your life, if you lead your life following him, rather than lead your life making your own decisions and asking him to bless them, if you lead your life following him under his lordship, the kingdom of God is within you and with you and all around you. It can be in your heart and your life. And the kingdom of God is supposed to be in the church community. Christ is, Christ is the head of the church. Now, I've watched lots of churches over the last two years. I've looked at lots of social media. I've looked at lots of Christian leaders. I've listened to lots of Christians. I've seen the people that come to church, the people that no longer come to church, all of that kind of stuff. And I've come to the conclusion that there's quite a bit of misunderstanding about this. So I just want to be absolutely clear. The government are not the head of the church. The local government are not the head of the church. The provincial government are not the head of the church. Some so-called medical expert is not the head of the church. The prime minister is not the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. We don't do what I want. You're not the head of the church. We don't do what you want. None of these people died for me. None of these people saved me. Only Jesus did. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The reason the early Christians were persecuted was because they said, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And Caesar doesn't get to say how we worship God, where we worship God, when we worship God, what God we worship. It is Christ and Christ alone who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And we don't belong to the world, people. We don't belong to the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. We are of a different kingdom. We live in God's kingdom. We are part of a new community. And the church is supposed to reflect the values of the kingdom of God. And you know, when I came here to Canada, when we moved here to Canada, we moved from Scotland. And so we missed some Scottish things, like haggis and black pudding, stuff like that. And so we had a look around, and we noticed that there was, the Edmonton has a Scottish society. And they put on Highland games and Highland dancing and all of that kind of stuff. And I followed them on Facebook for a little while. But you know, we never joined the Scottish society. We never went to any of the Scottish society events. Do you know why? Because although I'm Scottish, that's just a little bit. 
I am part of the kingdom of God. The other Scottish people in Edmonton are not my community. My community are the other believers in Edmonton, regardless of what nationality. God's kingdom is drawn from every nation, tribe, and tongue. You should enjoy your culture, the music that comes from your culture, the food that comes from your culture, the history of your culture, and so on. But your loyalty is not to your ethnic or national culture. Your loyalty is to Christ and His kingdom. And your brothers and sisters, the people you want to surround yourself with, are like-minded fellow believers regardless of what culture they come from. We have been called out of the world and into the kingdom. And the only king of this kingdom is Jesus. No one else is in charge. And like, there should have been an amen at that. The only king is Jesus, right? The only king. Let's look, I've got a couple of, I've got one passage of scripture, it's quite long. It's from Colossians, but boy, as we were worshiping today and as we were singing these songs, I thought, these words come right out of this passage that we're going to finish with today, so it's great. Look at this. Colossians 1. The Father has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people. You see, there are some people in this world that are God's people that have been brought out of darkness and into light, who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. He is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you. If someone next to you is falling asleep, just elbow them and say it includes you. This includes you who were once far away from God. 
You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And no matter how sinful you were before, you're now holy and blameless. There's nothing to pay on that debt. Tetelestai, he paid it in full. You are now holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Folks, that is who Jesus is. That is what Jesus has done. And that is the kingdom that he now rules over his king. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus purchased me through his finished work and continues to intercede for me. And Jesus has brought me into a brand new kingdom, a new life where I still live in this world, I still participate in this life, but I'm part of a new world. I'm part of a new kingdom. He is my Lord. I'm no longer my own boss. I gave that up. He's now my boss. He, Jesus Christ is Lord. Come on, let's stand together. I want us to make a statement of faith together. I want us to proclaim the Lordship of Jesus Christ over our lives and over everything else. So are we ready, church? Say, say after me right here and right now. I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is Lord of time and history. He is Lord of all the nations. Be my Lord today. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in my heart, in my life, in my family, in my church. May the power of your Holy Spirit bring this to pass. In Jesus' name. And everyone shouted, Amen. Amen.